0: Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I am joined by a wonderful Ukrainian crew. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you.
1: Oh, thanks. Thank you.
0: Uh, We have in the studio, which is my office full of books. Uh, which actually makes for a great place to record a podcast. But we have with us Zalata again with Vitali, and we have a new guest, Zalata's brother, Marco. Marco, glad that you could join us for this.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Thank you. So this is part two. Uh, we gathered together um, with uh, Zalata and Vitali and myself, and we talked on what's happening in Ukraine. And, you know, we... We heard lots of positive feedback from people listening and, and getting kind of that insider's perspective of what's happening there in Ukraine. And, and people were saying, Andy, you should do a part two. And we thought, you know what? We should do a part two. And in doing that, we thought, well, this could work out really well because uh, Marco is able to, to join us who actually fled from Ukraine. So, Marco, we're glad that you're here, man.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here
0: and thanks for being willing just to share you know what you saw and and heard but also is you know for all of you being willing to come and share what's going on and giving clarity to this issue cuz there is a lot of misconceptions that are going on and a lot of confusion there's so much i want to talk about i feel like diving into three things at once and i know i can't do that so marco i definitely want to get into your story but listeners you're going to have to wait for it so we're going to we're going to Put that one off. We're going to make them make them wait or they're just going to skip ahead through the podcast. But don't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's let's start, you know, kind of with where we ended off last time. Let's let's jump into how have things progressed in Ukraine? Um, Zalata Vitaly, what you know, if there's any new words, you know, things that have come about from your family that are still there and what they're experiencing so let's just start there. I mean, there's many things we want to get to, but let's just start by saying, okay, where are things at right now?
2: Um, so it's been 20, 28 days of the war, and um, there are some cities that are fully ruined, um, and some cities are very close to my home. Um, and
0: that's got to be that's got to be really disheartening to see these pictures of places you know that are just being destroyed.
2: Yes, it is for sure because for some people it's just news, but for me that like that's my childhood, that's my home. Thankfully, my home hasn't been ruined yet and hasn't been bombed yet, so that's uh, we are th- thankful for that. And church continues uh, serving people in there, but uh, there are um, there have been around 10 million people that were displaced, uh, and around three and a half million people that actually fled to different countries.
0: Let's just. Let's just pause there for a moment. I mean, that is a crazy number—ten million people that have been displaced. And it was interesting. I was reading an article today that it's not just people in Ukraine that are fleeing, but you. I'm hearing also stories of people from Russia that are fleeing. It's just—is this—is just a hot mess all around.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> where Where are they going? From From what you guys know?
2: Um. So there are people from. Eastern Ukraine they're going to west of west of Ukraine or to three and a half million to
0: the Europe so this is an important point then when we're saying that 10 million have been displaced that means they've been displaced from their homes so that might mean that they've gone somewhere else in the Ukraine or that they've fled the Ukraine entirely
1: well uh, that means that they left their homes and we are mostly thinking about those most critical areas in the east of Ukraine and central of Ukraine right and they all all of the people who could leave who could evacuate for the good and for the sake of them saving their lives uh they they left and now they're either in west of ukraine uh where different churches different um humanitarian organizations you know they're helping and providing them the place to stay uh and um there are different borders with Romania, with Slovakia, with Hungary, with Moldova. that's where mostly women with kids are getting out. Some of men with uh, more than three kids or other circumstances.
0: But yeah. Are very many coming to Canada?
1: Um, thankfully, like
2: Canada was amazing help for now. No, but they're in a the process because Canada just opened up a couple of days ago, an amazing program called Quit, I think, something like that. Uh, and it's uh, they're providing three-year visa uh, work
0: for construction workers
2: nope that's for anyone um work another thing about
3: construction workers but yeah so it's
0: anybody for three years wow that's great
1: yeah canada has been really helpful really supportive
3: yeah last time we talked was actually very interesting because on the last podcast it did seem like western ukraine was a safe part of ukraine now it doesn't really seem like that anymore Things are changing. I personally have a brother and a brother in law who couldn't cross the border with their families to, you know, accompany their wives and like their, uh, you know, um, my younger sisters to uh, Poland. And now they're actually the family update that I have that they're actually in Spain right now with my auntie and the program that Canada has been uh, working on for the past like three weeks and now finally like several. Days ago, they announced that now you can actually apply and come to Canada. That's what I've been trying to bring them uh, to kind of using exactly that uh, uh, that simplified way of applying for your visa. And they give you open work permit if you want to. They also allow you to study and stay in Canada up to three years. Um, and they give you like an opportunity to just experience a life here away from from all that uh, that's craziness that's happening there in Ukraine. Um, and for people that stayed, it's mostly males right now in Western Ukraine. And even there, like, you know, last time we talked, the the areas that were in conflict were pretty much like, you know, we were talking about Eastern Ukraine, Southern Ukraine, Central Ukraine. Now, our last update was that there was a missile landing only 20 kilometers away from Boland, uh, Poland por- border. So that's a huge, uh, you know, that's a huge update right now. That's a huge announcement that, like, maybe now, you know, NATO, maybe now UN will feel a little bit more threatened by that because that's getting closer. If first, Ukrainians were just kind of like, you know, suffering going through that. Now, maybe other nations will be potentially compromised, which is a huge, uh, you know, shift in this entire unfolding war conflict.
0: Now, there's a meeting that's going to be taking place with NATO, if I understand correctly, where they're going to be deciding, uh, well, their what you know their actions is is that is that right? Like, what have you guys read or heard?
2: Yeah, like we the in the last while they had meetings with European Union and now they will help with NATO to see if they could help. But there are different opinions on that. Uh, some people believe NATO will step in. Some people will say no way. And some people say here ago, the third, third world war.
0: Yeah. Third world war. Yeah. It's kind of like all, all the in between. The other thing I've been hearing too, is that Ukrainian pressure, sorry, Ukrainian president is also being pressured to compromise or to um, make a deal, you know, for lack of a better word with, with Russia.
2: Yeah. I think a lot of Russian um, people are pressing him or, countries that support Russia. Um, It was very interesting. We just saw a video recently about um, Russian students of a big university. The best
1: university in Russia.
2: Addressing our president saying, hey, let's negotiate because we want to be in peace with people our own age because we are the same nation. We are sharing the same land. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of pressure on him.
3: It's funny enough you were actually asking about whether there's a pressure on the Ukrainian president because I was actually thinking about it. Um, it was a very smart on Putin's end to make it seem like Zelensky is a threat. You know, the, Zelensky is the target. So w- the way it, they make it look right now is that if Zelensky would step down, they would stop. But the reason why, you know, Zelensky doesn't want to step down because he's actually representing our values, you know, mm-hmm. he's fighting for our language. He's fighting for our cultural, um, you know, kind of like um, differences. And like, yeah, exactly. Like Mark was saying, I, our identity is is different. You know, um, funny enough, if you look at the history closer, you'll see a pattern. And when uh, we had a president Kuchma in 1991, um, when he when we were separated from USSR, you know, from Soviet Union, um, he was a president. And he actually wrote, uh, he tried to uh, preserve and save a relationship uh, with, save relationship with Russia. But he still stepped out and he wrote a book and it was called uh, Ukraine is not Russia. Um, And that was very concerning for Putin because that was the time when, you know, with the cooperation with Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine still stepped out and said, like, hey, we're different. Like, we, we're still a different nation. We have a different identity. We have different culture, different constitution. So therefore, we have a right for our, for our differences to be accepted. And that was something that Putin never really liked because he personally addressed multiple times that they have over 200 ethnicities just in Russia because that's such a gigantic country. You know, it covers like so much of our globe. That obviously they would have so many different ethnicities, but they're all being, you know, influenced by Russian language, Russian passports, Russian citizenship, you know, and also Russian rubles, which means now all their economy is being, you know, compromised by what what's happening in in the world.
0: There, I, I want to go further down this this rabbit trail uh, with regards to Putin and some of the things he's been saying recently. But before I do, you know, Vitaly, what have you, you know, heard from your parents and how are th- what what's happening? where they're at?
3: Yeah, that's a very good question. I actually caught myself uh, telling someone else the other day that according to all the information that I've been receiving in the past couple of, you know, weeks, uh, it it it's not that hard to determine that Ukraine, Kherson was one of the most dangerous parts in the world right now. So like to live there and to, you know, to make it overnight and make it over a day, you know, that's a miracle already. Just like your existence there you your ability to just get food and get water um so my parents were like i approached i approached my parents multiple times like trying to you know arrange a, a ride for them to to get out of the city and till this day they said even if the ride was arranged like we would still want to stay for now that's what they're feeling that's what they're praying for and it's not easy for them i can tell it's definitely a little bit of a of a heartbreaking moment because they want to be reunited with me and my other, you know, siblings. Um, but at the same time, they also cannot really, they can't really picture themselves leaving the church and people that are still there, like older, you know, generation that are not able to leave uh, the country or the city because the city right now, they, they got an announcement that uh, the city will be transferred in rubles now. So starting April 1st. They'll try to use, you know, they'll get rid of Ukrainian grievance. So even that is just like a huge step. And my parents are still deciding to stay there for now with my older sister. Um, and it's not easy for them. There is not much, you know, food left in the city. Grocery stores are empty. You know, there's a lot of looting from Russian soldiers. And there is a lot of uh, riots. Like there's a lot of people stepping out and going on square Uh, like the main city square just to protest and say that they don't want to be a part of Russia, you know, like that's not what they're asking for, you know, and yet it was pretty peaceful for the past little while, but now recently they started using like uh, crying gas, you know, and also using um, like just like shooting at people. We had on March 2nd, we had uh, 160 people like dead in the city after like every, all all the calculations, but like, and ever since, like, it's really hard to keep track because people are going missing and they're not officially announced like dead or, you know, or killed. But at the same time, like people just can't get a hold, like hold of, uh, of their family members and stuff. So it's not a, it's not an easy situation in the city at all.
0: So it, it's, de- it sounds like it's, it's deteriorating, uh, given the conditions and the challenges and, but yet, your parents are remaining to serve in the church that that they work at. Is is that
3: right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. The church that they planted, uh, they just don't really see it as an option to leave uh, because that was the place that they were called to to you know to minister, and they were appointed by God in that area. And it has been very, uh, you know, noticeable that it has been a a very huge source of support for people that stayed. Um, because a lot of people left from the church and, uh, they were just trying to rescue their families and their kids and, you know, but at the same time, my parents decided to stay with those who couldn't, uh, really immigrate or move.
0: You know, it's interesting. Often when we think about church planting, we think about, you know, sacrificing, you know, in these minor ways as, you know, you're, you're trying to grow this church, but we don't think about what does it look like to actually, be committed as a church planter to a people in a in a uh, a city where it's sac- you're sacrificing to care for them. Uh, but th- this is an important part of what the church has actually looked like throughout the throughout the centuries. Is this sort of service, which is amazing to see your parents, you know, doing that. But it it's a it's such an important reminder I think to us of what it looks like to follow Jesus.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure if I mentioned it last time, but you're so right. You're so correct of what you're saying because previously, you know, I was just like thinking how well they're oriented on eternity, you know, with everything that's happening around. And it's so crazy to see how their spir- spirituality is not affected by the physical, you know, uh changes in this world, which is like a huge um indicator of stability and maturity, you know, in um, you know, in in Christ and their uh Path walk with God because a lot of the times you just like talk to people and and you can you can you can notice how you know people are people say that they're saved but they're still so scared of you know what's after I die. But if you're really really looking into the Bible from my personal perspective, if you are so confident that your relationship with God are active and alive, and you are talking to your God like to your friend, you know there is not much that of a of a you know scarcity or or feeling of being so afraid of what's coming next. So I think for them, focusing on eternity, knowing and being so sure about what's going to happen to them if they die, you know, that's what gets them going. And that has been such a great example of faith for me personally as well.
0: So Zalata and Marco, what what are things like in your hometown?
2: Um, We... Like, I, I just want to, after what Vitali said, I just want to say that I really admire his parents and pray for them and their safety.
3: Well, yeah, yours as well, because I, I keep seeing photos of your dad just like working on on the humanitarian supplies and groceries and, and grains that they're receiving for people. So it has been like, oh, wow, like, you know, like our parents really stepping up this.
2: Day. And I think that's something that I want to say is that it's amazing to see how everyone has such an amazing and unique place to play in Ukraine. There are some pastors that stay like Vitali's parents and support people on the field. And I think that's what God called them to the moment, to that moment. And then there are people like my parents that uh, strategically moved to Western Ukraine uh, and they decided to, because God called them to be more strategic thinkers. And m- my dad is currently organizing a psychological group of um, psychological help uh, to two people that moved to Western Ukraine and humanitarian aid. Um, so I think there are plays for both. And sometimes right. you might hear some stories and say, oh, but I'm doing nothing or what What am I doing? But it's amazing to see how God gives such a great, great gift to each person and great calling. But in our city, um, the news uh, in Zaporozhye, it's a little bit quiet uh, and... There's no bombing. There's some times where people had to go uh, to hide in the bomb shelters. Um, but um, yeah, they currently are able to serve, uh, like the church is able to serve. And we actually had two meetings for seniors this last week, like um, seniors from veterans home uh, that would never step into church before this. They came in and they got some food and they literally were crying, Saints. Thank you that we don't have to live through these horrible times by ourselves. And then there are churches that organizing help and support. And we are kind of a churches that welcome people from Mariupol or Kherson, Like those cities, they leave and they come to our city to stay overnight. Um, and And they go to Western Ukraine. Um, and there are been crazy stories about what happened to people from Mariupol and Mark can tell a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, as, as Lada mentioned that there are many churches, including ours, helping two old folks and helping to people who are evacuating for, from the most critical areas. And I was actually on the call with two of my friends who stayed in Zaporizhia. And uh, as Lada said, it's safe there as, as for now. However... 30 kilometers from Zaporozhia where the villages and highway on the way to Mariupol. uh, It is absolutely crazy. There are just no village. Some of the villages are just, there is nothing there. You know, everything is just pieces, pieces that people are laying on the roads. And, you know, uh, many things are happening. And there is one highway which goes from Mariupol to Zaporozhia, and that's, From what my friend told me is the battle is going there right now for that highway because this is the only highway which goes to Mariupol the only way how Ukraine can provide humanitarian help as well as to evacuate people from all of the critical areas at the moment and as for now Ukraine standing strong our army is you know God is blessing our army blessing our people so thankful uh, for our president and uh, speaking of stories from people who were evacuated from Mariupol, you know, when my friend's telling me he's one of volunteers in territorial defense, he used to be, uh, and, uh, you know, you see many, many buses coming without windshield be- because, you know, while they were driving, there was a missile and pieces of missile were just got in the, in the front of the car, people getting hurt, injured, and people are scared because when they go to Zaporozhye, they don't know if they will survive.
0: When when you were there, the 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 atmosphere must have been tense.
1: You know, when I heard sirens, that, you know, reaction of wow was unrealistic and scary at the same time. Because we've never thought that is ever going to happen again, right? And uh You know, uh, when we strategically left our city, we were entering one of the cities, Ternopil Oblast, uh, after blog post, and we just entered the city and then we heard the sirens, you know, and the atmosphere changed quite a bit. Highway became absolutely crazy. Just letting you know, you know, people are going to the bunkers. And as we were trying to get out of the city, it was successful. There was no uh, bombing at that point. Uh,
0: But also when the sirens are going, people, it wasn't like a siren that the war, that there's a war starting. It's like siren that bombs could be landing.
1: Yes, there is a siren of, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to properly call it. I just say it's Air Force alert air force siren alert which um, which tells you to go to the bunker go to the basement get out of your apartment and just go down
2: Um, like we it was very heartbreaking to hear um a story of a person that stays in our house like we our my even though my parents left our house is half of it is um a place where you pack food and half of it is where people constantly change uh, when they come from Mariupol and three pe- three families stay permanently there to take care of it and hide a little bit. But um, the recent car that came, they didn't have windshields. Um, the, like, you could see that the Russian army was shooting at them. You could see like, I don't
0: know how you call it. Bullet holes?
2: holes. <laughs> yeah, in their cars. Oh, uh, and Marcus said- is
0: showing me a picture right now.
2: And it says that kids. Is not,
0: that literally the car is Saran wrapped at one point all yep. the way around it.
2: And that. it says kids on it to make sure they see that there are kids in a car, but it doesn't matter to them. Uh,
0: Unfortunately,
1: but- the from what we hear, right? Uh, I don't want to pro- promote hate speech anywhere because, you know, we're uh, talking about love of Jesus and we want to spread the love of Jesus. However, we've heard that. And we've seen and we've read the news that Russian soldiers were not sensitive to those uh, you know, writings on cars by buildings, by bunkers. They're still shooting, they're still bombing, regardless kids or women, it doesn't matter.
2: And and that family that came, they um I talked to a lady that accepted them and she said they were shaking. Like that the kid barely could speak, like the The parents were shaken, so they, like, the kids were, like, they're resilient, sometimes more than adults. So after one of our um, people that accept them and gave them a gift, they were fine. But the parents, you could see the terror on their face and how they were so thankful to God that they could make it. And they were not even Christian till that point. (laughs)
1: Exactly. This psychological warfare, which is going on right now in every home, in every person's mind is incredibly hard.
0: I mean, I could only imagine the fear of a bomb landing on your home, um, and also just the fear of having to flee your home and flee everything—your job, your, you know, like the a, a place that that, as you mentioned, Zlati, that you've grown up. Like, there's a there's a lot psych- psychologically to that. That I could only I I could only imagine the pressure that people must be feeling.
1: Yeah, it's just to think to put it into perspective that, you know when you think of some of the memories there and of some of the places where you've had great memories, it's going to stay as a memory forever now, you know, Mm. and it's not only about places. Unfortunately, it's about people as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, Marco, you, you went to school here in Canada. You've, you've been here for a while. How long have you been here?
1: Yeah, I've been in Canada since 2018. Yeah, three and a half years before I went back home to Ukraine.
0: So, so you went back home just to visit, I think, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, just my the only opportunity I've got after three and a half years to go home, you know, and uh, I was happy that I had that opportunity.
0: And then a war broke out.
1: <laughs> and here we go, yeah. And then the war broke out on February 24th.
0: Tell me about that. When... What was, what was it like being there knowing that war had, the war had started?
1: You know, uh, um, entire Ukraine woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning.
0: You know, when I
1: woke up, uh, well, I woke up at it later, you know, and uh, my parents are in the uh, dining room sitting because the people are calling, you know, the war has started. Bombings has started. This is not a joke. This is not a movie. This is not a TV show. This is our reality now. However, on the first day, we thought, hmm, maybe it's not that serious. But the fear was there, just to clarify, right? And uh, the first day was a lot of processing what is actually going on. Lots of conversations with people. Lots of panic, too, because my parents had nonstop calls since 5 a.m. in the morning till the evening, so.
0: Yeah, I guess you could only imagine, like, when something like happens that you're constantly thinking well maybe it won't be that bad maybe it won't be that bad and it gets worse and worse and worse and yeah. then it becomes your reality that you're that that you're fighting through
1: yeah that's what that is exactly what was happening right and so the first day when i woke up in the morning the first words my mom told me good morning pack up your luggage you're going right uh and um, lots of people did that even before the actual war, the day of the war, uh, people were ready to pack up and go just in case. And uh, on the first day of war, right, I packed up an hour or two. Thankfully, we haven't had bombings in our place as far as I remember, right, guys? Yeah, so Zaporizhia didn't have explosions at that point yet.
0: One thing you said, Marcos, I think is interesting that... Uh, you know, a lot of people have actually talked about is that this isn't a movie. It's not a TV show. You know, this isn't something we're reading about, but people are living through and we're, we're witnessing at a scale that people really have never witnessed a war like this. Uh, you know, where we have tech, the technology now where everybody can see what's happening in the past is, you know, it was just something that there wouldn't be as much personal knowledge of what's taking place but one thing that's been interesting that's developed out of this that people have read about historically but you're seeing take place is that these sorts of things aren't you know never done under the guise of evil intentions right as we're watching with Russia but particularly with Putin you know he is couching all of his actions under this, Guys, of hey, what I'm doing is actually the right thing, right? What I'm doing is the good thing, and I'm I'm coming to liberate uh, the Ukraine that's under this you know this oppression. And it's interesting because there there it's not like there isn't hints of truth to what he says too. It's this it's this twisting of truth, which is way more powerful than an outright lie. So I one thing that I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but in in Putin's speeches, he'll often talk about, uh, socialist Nazis and stuff like that. And it's like, well, do you have, do you have frac- factions in the Ukraine that are like, that? well, sure, but they're small that you'd probably find anywhere sort of thought, sort of thing. You could, you know, you could find that sort of thing, sort of, you could find all sorts of stuff around the world. Right. Uh, but what, what, what are you seeing and hearing as you're watching these speeches and that are coming out and and what's happening? Cause it, There's a lot of propaganda going on as people are trying to process this.
3: Um, Yeah, that's actually a very good question. I recently had people reaching out to me and being like, oh, like, you know, um, offering me to, you know, offering me that they're going to pray for me or they're going to, you know, just like support me and stuff. And then they say, well, like, we're just, uh," you know, they're like, we're so, you know, uh, heartbroken if what's happening in your country or maybe not even country. We don't even know what it is. And it just, like, you know, that, like, really, um, you know, that, like, just, like, really moved me, you know, because I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know what it is. And he's like, well, maybe, is, is it a ter- territory? Like, is Ukrainian just, just the territory? Wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like, Putin is really good with propaganda. Like, really, really good. And I think it's so, it's so... um it's so important to actually touch up on the, on the topic that you you, Andy brought up just like recently about how is there actually, you know, nationalists, like, is there actually, you know, that aspect of our, of our, you know, population. And in reality there is, you know, we don't know that what the percentage is. Like, I know that there was a struggle with certain people speaking Russian, there was a conflict, but it was not, you know, worth to, people were never killed. You know, for speaking Russian. And I'll say it all over, like over and over again, because I grew up speaking Russian with my parents. We were never threatened. We were never compromised. Our lives were never, you know, like, discri- like uh, we were never discriminated for our, you know, uh, you know, l- linguistic preference. Uh, my parents still this day cannot speak fluent Ukrainian, never had an issue. You know, and my school in Ukraine, uh, you know, was fully Ukrainian language and I was never really, you know, discriminated for speaking Ukrainian with my teachers and speaking Russian with my parents. It was just, uh, you know, a little bit of a footprint of what happened after USSR, because when Ukraine was a part of, um, of Soviet Union, you were obligated to speak Russian. Speaking Ukrainian was not cool. You know, because if you speak Ukrainian, you're like from a village. But if you speak Russian, you're like, oh, you're from a city. You know, you're educated. You probably went to the university, like you went to university or something. So for the longest time, that was uh the... you know that was the trajectory that soviet union was trying to implement in people all around including belarus that's why people in belarus understand russian that's why people in ukraine understand russian that's why people in moldova understand russian that's why people in georgia understand russia but if like russian but if you go and speak ukrainian in russia they'll never understand it you know they can't even pronounce certain words and stuff so that's a very interesting aspect and Putin is really good with propaganda, trying to you know affect people thinking the way he is portraying it. But none of what he would ever say will justify you know killing, you yeah. know the bloodshedding. Like none of it will ever justify. Like the, whatever amount of you know percentages he's saying there is nat- like nationalist, or like it doesn't matter how much he hates like personally Zelensky or 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 our government uh, none of it can be ever justified for what he's doing right now. So it's so crazy how even a lot of my friends, you know, um, or like my acquaintances, they would be like, Oh, you're from Ukraine, you know, like, so how's it going? How's your family? And then they would like randomly ask me like, you know, questions about like, and because they're curious and I totally understand it. And they would ask me questions that would lead to, okay, I understand what kind of news you're listening now. And they're very curious. So is it true or is it not? But it's so crazy how people are focusing on those, like, little, you know, details and stuff. And I'm like, there is not even one detail that you can tell me that will be even true, that will be, you know, that will be justified by putting my parents, you know, my family's, Lada's family, into what they're going through right now. Like, none of it. So none of it really matters, you know, because people were not dying there, you know, um, before. Because that's what Putin is trying to say that was happening in the eastern side of Ukraine. And it has been proved like so many times, you know, like we were applying to UN court. We were applying, you know, to for the investigation on international level because we were interested whether it's really happening in Ukraine. And none of it was ever proved.
2: No, my like my mom and my aunt and my cousins. We come from those occupied territories. Like Donetsk Oblast. Donetsk Oblast. And like all through Like I have friends who actually during this war had to fled that area or hide in there in the uh, underground places to not go to Russian army. Like I have literally friends that are there. And then I hear Putin uh, saying to people or I hear Russian news saying, oh, yeah, like they're trying to fight against Donetsk area. What? Like, no, like I all through the eight years of the war, my aunt was freely come into that area come out of that area and no one was persecuted there like that's the pro- pro- that's the
0: problem with propaganda though right yep. and especially with the news and and how people are consuming information these days and it's so easy for them then to get caught up in that and then where you've got Putin that takes it which by the way I would actually argue you might disagree with me on this but I I think Putin believes his own lies
2: for sure. Oh, I absolutely. He, I think he
0: believes. I think he believes his own propaganda, and and goes to such an extent that he even quotes scripture. Like, were you, now what? <laughs> now what went through your mind when you hear Putin quoting scripture, particularly Jesus? Um. So
2: he last speech we heard, me and Marco.
1: That was an event of uh, Russia celebrating. Uh, Crimea becoming part of Russia in 2014.
0: So that was the context of the speech? That was the
1: context of the speech, context of the event that was organized. And uh, there were, from what I remember, more than uh, 60,000 people there.
2: And like, yeah, so it was a huge... And it, there's arguments when that happened, whether it was before... Like there, there's They're no... saying
1: that it might be pre-recorded and there are some proofs that showing uh, pictures of the celebration of Jew- Crimea joining Russia from a couple of years ago.
0: So in other words, that's part of the propaganda is you don't even know when that speech was recorded.
1: Yes, you don't really know from people who are watching it and who weren't there. You don't know.
0: Yeah, and
2: it was shocking because we were all throughout that time, like we just heard all the different um theories and propagandas that they're trying to put into their people. And then he says, yeah, but we are loving our Ukrainians who like, we we want to love them. Therefore, how Bible says, the greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Therefore we lie down our lives for Ukrainians. And both me and Mark just, we stopped the video and we were like, what? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it, it is John? Chapter 15, verse 13, the context of that verse is all about being when I'm in Christ, when I abide in Christ, therefore, the I can love people by laying down for, for people. And we're like, so killing my, like, he's talking about somewhere their land, but I know, like, this is my friends that you're killing. It's not somewhere out there and you're telling that you're showing love like this so for me it actually made me think of like hey what does it mean to lay my life down for a friend and actually like looking at vitalis parents or pastors that i know or even some of like mark's friend who's delivering food uh, under bombs like those people are laying their lives there for their friends or they're getting rid of, of their privileges to help and serve people and the main example is Jesus Christ. So compare, take Jesus Christ as an example of a person who laid down his life for us and compare Russia. I'm like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't fit my mind. It doesn't mind. align.
0: Well, that's because it's, you know, it's that twisting of truth. But sadly, people can get caught up in, in, in that twisting yeah. of truth.
1: And unfortunately, uh, from the stats, which I know about that, unfortunately, Russian people believe that believe what putin is saying and the percentage of population who is supporting putin has r- has grown by 10 percent so right now it's 71 percent unfortunately of population who is supporting putin and everything he is doing
2: yeah and my friend um who lives in moscow was again threatened to stop talking about um, the truth her, the truth um and the um, truth. like there are even amongst the Christians, like it's, it's very sad how Satan works amongst the Christians that yeah. it is like, so there's so much divide and especially the pastors that support Ukraine or want to pray for Ukraine, they get put down. Or the pastors that, there are uh, celebrity pastors in Russia that are not speaking. <laughs>
1: they're not speaking out and they're being quiet, which, and they're proclaiming peace, however, uh, lots of Ukrainian Christians are upset about it because uh, promoting peace or saying stop the war, um, it has some different uh, differentialities, some differences.
3: It is a very complicated aspect to speaking for what people should be doing or should not be doing, right? Like it's so hard to take that position because you don't know uh, what pressure points enemy is using on them. So like just to say what somebody should be doing or like how they would sh- like, should be like, I've noticed within me that my approach towards what's happening in Ukraine have been changing in the past, you know, 28 days. Like my very, my very first response was like, I want to share it with the world. Like I want to tell people that people, you know, I want to tell people in peaceful parts of the world that there is a part of the world that people are dying right now, you know? And, and I, and I, shared as much as I couldn't and I became so sick of it you know I was just like I can't look at the news anymore like nothing is changing and for a while like I was taking a break like not even you know shutting it all down and just connecting with my family no more news you know I just I spent that much time praying rather than studying the news and who's saying what and when did they say that and how did they say it and like why would they say it and because that was so you know kind of like energy draining. So, uh, the fact that Putin was quoting scripture, it's not a new thing. You know, we see, we see in, um, you know, in the new Testament, when Jesus was going into the, like when he was in the desert, you know, when, uh, you know, when the enemy, when the Satan is, you know, trying to tempt him, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy, you know, like he's actually quoting a lot of scripture. Like, so he is aware. He is, you know, sorry, but Jesus was responding with Deuteronomy, you know, like Jesus was responding with the scripture. So I think it's so interesting because we could have five, four, three people in the room and three people would have different opinions on what's going on, you know, and quotations and like aspects, you know, and how they see Jesus and how they see Satan. But scripture still stays the same. You know, so I think it's very interesting that we should be focusing on fundamental, you know, principles of God, you know, to say, well, first of all, there's there's a commitment that like do not kill. You know, that's just do not cross that line, you know, and and that was like one of my revelations, you know, like, why am I not in Ukraine? Why am I not taking a weapon? Because within me, it is not right, you know, to kill Uh, another human being like I did not give life to this person I did not sustain life in this person so therefore how do I allow myself to end something that you know that I consider a miracle you know we see a lot of babies are being born in subways you know in Ukraine right now we see so many amazing you know stories and stuff like Nader wouldn't close the sky but that we had this extreme wind uh, like wind that uh, brought all the paratroopers back to Belarus and they couldn't land in Ukraine you know yes, yeah, yeah people are not mentioning that you know there was a lot of uh russian warships trying to uh, uh, br- bring their soldiers into odessa which is on the black sea and then the black sea was raging for like days and days and they couldn't really land they couldn't really come close to the shore enough to you know to drop off their soldiers so missiles that are not exploding you know and that's all happening when we are praying not when we are in discussion you know because i think like it's so crazy because I was so devastated, I'm like, God, what do I do, you know, this guy doesn't have the same opinion, you know, this person doesn't have the same opinion, I listen to them, I respect them, I move on, you know, there's not much I can do, especially when uh, what you were saying, actually, I completely agree about Putin, you know, that he believes his own lies, as a matter of fact, he believes it so much, he makes all the other people believe it. So there is like this crazy percentage, you know, of like, I don't know whether it's true or not, because I always see how they're like, say, oh, like we did this survey and like 75% of Russians are saying this. But like, I'm like asking my Russian friends that are like, yeah, we have never been surveyed. You know, like we don't know how that's like really happening. <laughs> yeah. So they're saying that 75% of Russians are actually supporting Directly or indirectly of what Putin is doing. So that's crazy You know, we see people stepping up and saying like "Zet," you know, what's what stands for war, you know For one of their battalions and stuff like that. So,
0: you know, what you're driving at there I think is so important We get we can often get so caught up in the conversation We can get so caught up in watching the news or or scrolling our feed that we never take time to pray. We're never spending time with the Lord and asking God to, to intervene, but also not only to intervene there, but intervene what's going on in here, mm-hmm. um, in, our, in our own hearts, Absolutely. in our own lives, uh, which I which I, I think is one of the major challenges that we have uh, in this technological age and being able to see a war. But what is our response to that war?
2: I would say something that I've been struggling with because I heard a person parade about god help putin win and i'm like oh my ah, do i accept brother, that brother wow do i like so for me i would say like first thing is l- instead of watching the news maybe we need to hear people's stories and there are enough stories out there and there are enough um ukrainians in canada in any community that uh, i would suggest rather than listening to the news actually maybe calling them and say hey like What are you hearing? Like what, and then praying uh, according to what their needs are, rather than just like you know generally. Well,
0: along those lines, uh, what what are ways that people can help and participate? Now, Marco, I know that like the the school that my son goes to, they were raising funds uh, for, I, I for you or for. For the family, family who yeah. are doing
1: humanitarian work right now. Right.
0: So your family who are doing humanitarian work. And it was interesting because my son, you know, gave money, his own money as well, uh, to that effort, which I think is important, right? Like, that, again, it's not only what is God doing there, but what is God doing here in me, right? Wow. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Jesus.
2: I just want to say thank you to MEI and Trinity and other People that were supporting our parents and the ministry that they're doing in Ukraine, and also there are many organizations like Hungry for Life, MCC, um, Multiply, and many other organizations, or even 101 contacts that were sharing finances, um, and we are thankful for their generosity because I think there are a lot of amazing people that serve in in different ways. I would say.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, when we say thank you, I, speaking from me, from my family, thank you doesn't even describe the gratitude I have towards people who have heart to support the ministry, to support the people there, to encourage people there and uh, uh, support them in this challenging time.
0: Tell us the money that people are raising that they send over to help in those ways. What is it going to
1: um,
2: I think depends what organization you're with, but the pe- people that donated finances towards our family is the money goes towards um, like my mom and dad are currently in a Western Ukraine, but they are still connecting with a church in Zaporozhye. So a lot of the money goes towards the seniors. Like there are 500 plus seniors that they're still, and my mom has a team of 40 that still um, is in contact with her. She encourages them Personally, And then they do those little lunches or events and then they deliver food. Uh, some money goes towards people that travel from uh, critical areas like Mariupol or Kherson to Zaporozhia
1: and stay There's over. There's a big need in that, financial need into bringing and in evacuating people. And it's been
0: really great. So the places that aren't in the midst of the, the war, right, are helping those cities that have been devastated, in yes. other words, and getting resources to helping. In those areas.
2: Yeah, like we, there, currently you can't, there's no way that you could bring food into those areas. Therefore, everyone who's like, there are some government may, maybe organization, but uh, mm. even big humanitarian organization can't can't get in because like Russian army just
1: been shooting. But. Yeah, and Russian Russian army is not keeping the agreement on humanitarian corridors and so that's been really crazy.
0: Well, um, even with the media, because I know that some different Someone. people from the press have been killed as well.
1: Oh yeah, there has been American uh journalists who have been killed, English and many other ones, yeah.
2: And and then when people um like mo- go to western Ukraine, they also need food and clothes and so a lot of organization um so like a lot of organization help them to buy to buy clothes or to buy food or um yeah, just even help their kids maybe get some supplies for school.
3: Yeah, that's actually so interesting when we, when we talk about like humanitarian help or I've personally had so many of my friends reaching out, you know, who are students, you know, just starting their careers and they don't have a lot, like a lot of money, but they would still, you know, like e-transfer like 20 bucks, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it is. Right. And that has been, for example, like going for like, you know, purchasing like airfare for some of my like family members or just making sure that they like survive because they don't have an income right now, you know. So that was very interesting. Another very triggering thought, and I just want for people to ponder on it, you know, because a lot of when people get caught up in lies, like it's so important to just see facts. And speaking of humanitarian help, Russia is saying that they're so like, you know, quick to help and they're just willing to rescue people and bring them, you know, food and water and whatever they need. And lately I've been thinking about it, I'm like, well, there is a wonderful indicator to to see and find that truth about what's happening there. And the truth is, we just have to look, you know, if Russia is offering so much help, then why statistically speaking, registered so far, only under 2000 people that used Belarus and Russia as a country of refuge. And then we see that over a million people just went to Poland you know, and if we're talking about 10 million people in Ukraine being displaced out of their homes, so they have nowhere to go. And, you know, geographically speaking, those areas that are being attacked right now and bombarded and from, you know, Russian perspective being delivered from Ukrainian na- nationalistic government, then why those people that are being rescued right now, you know, are not going to Russia? You, it's such a drastic difference, you know, like they're being literally de- like, you know, delivered. They're being liberated. Well, you know, if you then if you want, you know, a little bit better quality of life, then go to the country that liberated you. But nobody wants to go there. You know, it's crazy.
1: It's strange, is it not? Right. <laughs> uh, it, it's it been really fascinating to see that uh, because I'm following uh, Ukrainian M. One of the Russian news as well. And, you know, as we're talking about um, Russia is not keeping the um, agreement on humanitarian corridors and they're shooting people and they're taking over the humanitarian help to show Russian media that. They are helping with humanitarian aid. How ironic is that, right?
2: Yeah, and it's uh, very interesting to see that one of the trucks that they showed on their TV was actually trucks that <laughs> we know who who del- like who delivered and packed that truck. So it was interesting. But for me, like I going back to what Vitaly was saying is is that um I think the reason why people are not going to Russia is not only because they're aggressor, but I think. I personally feel for people of Russia that don't believe what is gonna like what is gonna come to them. Like I talked recently to one ministry and I said, hey, like to one missionary who used to be in Russia and has ministries there. And I said, hey, like how about like maybe you encourage your people to like buy more food, like and while you have food still there? Like I I just feel bad for those seniors and, and single moms that will suffer later. And they told me, no, like, Russia will be okay. Like, peop- like Russia will be even better than ever, so we don't worry about it. And I was like, ah, um, my heart feels for those who would struggle and, and be hungry at the end. Of even
1: what- now, even now, seeing videos of old ladies fighting over the bag of sugar. So it do- it is already starting to, people of Russia start feeling it already. Yeah. And uh, it is really hard to be Russian nowadays. And, you know, I just want to clarify one important thing that uh, one of the Christians in Ukraine has said, that there is no hatred for Russians. And the quote I will say is, we love Russians and we forgive those who support Putin. So this is the perspective. There is no hatred towards them. There is a uh, love of Jesus, which we want to Yeah, portray. I think, Marco,
3: you're touching up on a very important topic because we need to... We need to spread out that idea that, like, we want to still, you know, offer love and acceptance for even, even in the midst of this situation. I, I was recently in time of prayer, and God was like, uh, speaking so vividly to me. And God was like, Vitaly, you have to like believe what I'm telling you. I'm like, okay. And God was like, I love you. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I accept that. You know, I believe that you love me. I can, I can see it in my life. It's very, it's very evident like i love your family and it was like so hard so much harder for me to believe because like that's what my family is going through but i was like okay god like no i believe you i believe you You love my family and you take care of them it is it is true and then god was like i love ukraine i'm like well yeah like you do but like i see all that pain you know and then god was like i love russia and i was like and that one was like really hard for me to you know to be like oh for real like you know god like you're gonna you know, test me like that right now? And then finally God was like, I still love Putin, you know? I And for me, that was just like so mind-blowing. I'm like, I didn't want to agree with it. But, and and it's so, I, I there's a lot of wrongdoing in in what's happening right now. And they're raising an ethical question saying, well, yeah, those, a lot of those soldiers, they, once they're being in a captivity, they're saying, oh, we didn't know, we thought it was training. And, but then why did you shoot at people? You know, why did you... You know, why did you kill people when you're saying you thought it was training? And they said like, well, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't retreat. We wouldn't, we couldn't come back, you know, or like retract our troops back. Like we were forced to fight and stuff. And then you understand that uh, you still love people. You know, you still love that person. You just hate what they did. Like you you hate war. You hate violence. You hate all the violent uh, approach that they're taking. And yet you still through all of that, you're trying to find the aspect of like, no, I still would love you.
0: This is the interesting part. Maybe this is a good place for us to, to land is, you know, we've talked a lot about truth today. And that's the hard part is that, you, if, like what you're getting at Vitaly is that you can start to lose sight of truth in the midst of war. So there's the propaganda and there's the twisting of truth. But what you're what you're talking about is the truth that God loves you, right? And that God loves your family and that God loves Ukraine and God loves Russia and God loves Putin. And, but it's interesting because that's truth, right? But truth is difficult to, to grab hold of in the midst of all that's going on. We, we th- there is this temptation in us to want to grab hold of the propaganda, to grab hold of the lies and the twisting of truth that wants to turn us against each other into to make war, which is the very problem that we're in, right? And again, that's this thing that leads us back to God. It leads us back to prayer. and It leads us back to saying, Lord, would you please teach me because I want to make war and I know that you are the Prince of Peace. So help me to follow in your footsteps and to not get caught up in the lies. Does
3: that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. As As you are thinking, I'm just like, actually visualizing what would it look for us, you know, and it's a very interesting aspect you're touching up on, and and I haven't shared it with Marco, I haven't shared it with Lada, and I only shared with a lot of my close friends, so it's kind of interesting that I feel, you know, moved to share it right now, but I, uh, you know, thinking of what you were saying, you know, the actual truth is, I realized that a lot of people are standing up for Ukraine, for, you know, for the country. And I love Ukraine so much. I love Ukrainian language. I love Ukrainian uh, culture. I love people in Ukraine. Um, I'm just not sure whether it is something, you know, that it's worth dying for. And that's including for any, you know, country. Like, you know and it's it's a hard thing for me to say I never thought about it you know but then I thought to myself like how could I how could I encourage you know my president take the weapon if I would never take the weapon you know I glorify him so much and I think this is so awesome that he's you know this courageous uh, young man who would uh, not you know flee the war but still be in it and yet I cut myself thinking that I wouldn't do it why because I don't think you know even my country that I love so much is worth, dying for and that goes for you know Russia as well because if people would give up their the principles of politics and the aspect of like what you believe is the matter what you're gonna die for you know and I was thinking I was talking to my dad about it because in my family we had you know my great-grandpa he was persecuted for you know for his belief and he was taken actually by communists in KGB into the Russian forest and he was shot there and he still had 11 kids at home. He, you know, and, and just hearing those kind of stories, you know, people would die for it, but then all the kids would have revelation from the Holy Spirit that, you know, that he wouldn't come back home. And there was something that they felt like there was a sacrifice paid, but he never, he never fought back. You know, he never wanted to shoot them back. He never, you know, and none of the family ended up being with like, you know, it sucks. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. Like it's, devastating. Like I can't even imagine what my grandpa experienced, you know, being in that family, being his kid, not seeing his dad coming back home. And yet with all of that being said, I think it is so important to focus on what are you actually going to be standing up for? Because what if in five years it won't matter, you know? And, and it sucks because for a lot of those people, yeah, they still want to, you know, for my, for my uh, parents, like they don't want to leave the country and they also don't want to stay in Russian city, you know, now that all of a sudden you didn't go anywhere. You didn't move, you know, you didn't move locations and all of a sudden you were Ukrainian. Now you're in Russia. So like, that's obviously not right, but I'm just saying it more of a... You
0: know, there's another way you could say it too, is what's worth, what's worth living for, uh right? Because it's, I think it's in these moments that you really start taking account of these important ideas of what am I doing and what really matters and, and what should I be focusing on and how should I be living?
2: I just want to say thank you for sharing that, because I think that from what I notice in the church, even in Church of Ukraine or church between church in Ukraine and Russia, there's so much divide. But I think we sometimes forget that something we need to be fighting for is is for people to get to know God. Um, whether it's in Russia in their circumstances or in Ukraine in the bomb shelters. Like, I think that's what should unite us. Um, and um, if Canadians could pray for, uh, and um, Americans could pray for Ukrainian church and Russian church to stay strong in those moments and actually remember that they shouldn't be fighting for only for their country, but they should be fighting for the souls of people that they're encountering in what, what which way.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like as you were saying, I just keep, you know, having those uh, words going through my mind that we are ultimately citizens of heaven, you know, rather than citizens of what something because that's so temporary, you know. Well, how long are you going to live on earth? You know, 80, 90 years old, you can maybe maybe over 100, but would it, you know, what does it change for you because what really matters is that where you're going to be in eternity.
0: And so is being a citizen of a country worth dying for versus being a citizen of heaven is worth dying for?
3: Yeah, well, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, that's that's a very good question, you know, to to ponder on and really consider, you know, because we're so oriented with what's happening on earth that we often forget that, you know, by waking up in the morning and speaking up to God and be like, God, like, I want to partner up with what you are doing today, not ask you to help me with my, you know, certain like achievements and stuff. And I think with all, within us, we have that call. We have that search for something more, um, you know, reliable than anything physical, because you look at anything, you know, if you're listening to this podcast in the car or at the, at your work, you know, or at you with your family or with, uh, in the living room or whatever in your bedroom, anything you can see, feel, touch, smell, it all has expiry date, you know? And there is something within you, something spiritual, your spiritual being is telling you that there's more, you know, there is, um, there is spiritual existence that goes beyond your physical existence. And, and that search can be, you know, you know, demonstrated through like differently in any, in anyone else, like, you know, in, every, in everyone's life. Like, but at the same time, like, that's, that's a good question. Like you were saying, like, is that, you know, can we focus on something more eternal? you know, rather than something that has an expiry date. And here I am fighting for this, you know, and ready to die. And then my eternity is being determined by what am I fighting for here on earth. Yeah.
0: A lot to unpack there. Did you want to say
3: something? Yeah. I was going to say that,
1: um, you know, and right now in our country, I believe that there is spiritual revival is happening right now. And uh, I believe and I know that there are many Christians and many Christian communities in our country from different denominations are becoming one and they are helping and they are serving to people and they're asking questions and they're getting to know people and, you know, people who were rejecting God in the past... They are accepting him now, and you know there is there has been a really famous quote which has been really popular on Ukrainian Instagrams, uh, which says if you didn't believe in God before, this is perfect time to start believing in Him. You know, and this phrase has been really powerful, and uh, you know many people and praise Jesus for, you know, this opportunity for Christians to you know ask those questions ask people to speak about Jesus to evangelize about Jesus
0: hey as we close uh, I just want to ask if there's somebody who would like to to make a donation to the humanitarian effort there where could they make a meaningful difference to help
2: um, there are how I mentioned before um, different organization but the ones that our parents work for is multination missions Foundation and if you go on a website you could find humanitarian uh, under current projects, you can find Ukraine humanitarian projects, uh, but you can also reach out to uh, organizations like MCC. You can reach out to um, organizations like Multiply, um, Hungry for Life. But um, we would be, and I know people are very um, thankful and support, like very thankful for support.
0: Well, it's good, it's good to have, you know, to, you, your perspective in saying hey listen it's my parents it's my friends family i know that this money is being used to help and i know exactly where it's going
2: and we do send updates um, every week so
1: yeah Great. absolutely if you're interested we'll be telling you and we will be really thankful for each support each prayer as we believe that prayer has been incredibly powerful and it's evident
0: that's great. Hey, uh, thank you all for joining us on on the AC podcast. We we ended the last podcast in prayer, and I think that would be good to do again. Uh, Marcos, could you end us in prayer?
1: Yes, absolutely. Let's pray, dear Jesus. We are so thankful. We're so thankful that we're here right now. I'm so thankful that we can discuss important things, but we also can, you know, we can pray for peace in Ukraine. We can. Pray for the end of war, and we can, Jesus. We're just asking you, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. And I ask you that you, Lord, help us as Christians. Um, <laughs> can I pray? Yeah, sure. Dear God, I'm so thankful that you've created us. And I'm so thankful that you've created us for a purpose and I pray for the end of war I pray that Lord everyone who is there right now I pray for your support Jesus they need you and as we hear those terrifying news and sometimes you just start feeling hopeless however we have you jesus and i pray that you bless people of ukraine and you stop the war and you bless people of russia lord and you bring peace to the world and i pray that you bring peace everywhere jesus and you know we just you spread your name around the world more and more and more amen <laughs>